Hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Nurse in live stream. And today I am very happy and excited to present to you my special guest, Glenn Swan. And why I want, why I invited him because music and any kind of music, especially with some wind music. I think it's very healing and it's very meditative. And that's also very close to indigenous culture where I grew up with it. And so uh, when I remember that my friend Glenn plays Sakuhachis, I said, ah, this is, would be a perfect time. So for those of you who are musically inclined or have some music interest or some instrument interest or just being meditative this live stream will be perfect for you so thank you glenn for being here thank you for inviting me to do this let me just read to you a little bit about glenn and i want to read it because there are certain words that may seem to be difficult to remember and see we get some blessing right now <laughs> Oh yeah, the um, my my clock on the mantle. That's right. See, it's just saying, "Go girl, go guy." So, <laughs> so, so Glenn uh, Swan, he he was born in February 26, nineteen seventy, in Trenton, New Jersey, and he began his study of Sakuhachi in nineteen ninety four, and uh, his teachers include Tommy Han, Stephen Rowland. David Wheeler, currently Kawase Hunsuke the third, Junsuke the third, Nemoto of Kinko Ryu Shiko Yusha, and he receives Shihan certification last August 6, 2011, along with the name Shoyu, and that's why there's his name, Glenn Shoyu Swan. When, mm -hmm. when I first met Glenn, I think we I, I ran into him like in the 19 uh, late 1980s, just because I started to go I, I moved from New York to Princeton and I ended up going to the health food store because that was already the time when I was really taking care of myself. So as soon as came from the Philippines to United States in 1985, I learned to eat well better than when I was in the Philippines. Although in the Philippines, I was eating better already because we have a lot of vegetables and less meat. However, we had many free times where we eat sugar. So, but I continued my journey and that journey led me to the health food store where Glenn was working. So I know when it comes to his health, his music, his art and meditation, Glenn is not a stranger. And even now, he, he looks at health very broadly and he's a critical thinker as well. So there's so many things that Glenn and I share and that's why this is a special privilege for me to have Glenn. He's a busy person as well also so glenn tell tell us what led you to studying or learning about shakuhachi shakuhachi yeah shakuhachi shakuhachi flute um well i mean i think uh 
if you really trace it back, it was starting to work at the health food store. That kind of started uh, the whole thing because through there I made connections where I started to learn about Zen meditation um, and other kind of, you know, um, things like that. And I started playing other kinds of flutes, like the Lakota cedar flute and just other things, but not any serious way of studying. Um, then in 1994, I was actually given a flute, a shakuhachi flute. And it was like um, just totally out of the blue. I was buying a, a Honda scooter. And the guy who I was buying it from just had these flutes. And he was so impressed that I was able to get a sound out of it that he just gave it to me, you know, like in the scooter. So from there, I decided to start studying because uh, there was the connection between flute that I'd already uh, decided I was interested in, the breath connection, plus it is uh, an instrument. And I had, by that time, gotten fairly deeply interested in Zen meditation. So all those things kind of coincided. And I started with my first teacher in Princeton, Tomi Eihan. Um, she was teaching through the university, like just uh, not affiliated, but she was um, there for a while. Um, then I moved on to my second teacher, also in Princeton, Stephen Rowland, and um, eventually started uh, studying in Japan with my current teacher. Um, you know, I got my master's certification. So it's been, you know, a, a long, long road, but I guess the start of it was certainly uh, just my interest in Zen meditation. That's so interesting. I always find it really um, like a serendipity when when one is ready to receive something that kind of elevates your consciousness or really brings down to oneself taking care of yourself and for others it seems like one thing leads to another and and as i and as you said like going working at the health food store and most of the people i know who work in the health food store kind of end up doing more for themselves in terms of health mm. and, and and it's it's nice that mo and and it's also interesting to know that that all the the your initial teachers were even just around princeton mm -hmm. and that's another thing that i've learned in life when you're ready you don't have to really seek so far and it seems like that your help are just near you okay yeah it was pretty yeah. amazing how that happened you know i was really lucky to be able to have that, you know, because there aren't that many shakuhachi teachers in America. So, yeah, and and lately it seems like when when I try to research on it, I said there's a few here and there. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then, so I've been listening to it lately to to the music of the shakuhachi. Mm -hmm. Now, are, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the history of the shakuhachi? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just, um, you know, there's a lot of things about shakuhachi that uh, are either not really that well established uh, historically or kind of there's some dispute about it. You know, there's a lot of details that people who are real scholars of it would uh, debate one way or the other. But, you know, basically what is known is that it originated in China. Uh, there's a flute, a Chinese flute called the xiao or dong xiao, which is end blown like the shakuhachi, so rather than a transverse flute that uh, came into Japan somewhere probably around like 700 AD or so initially, uh, pretty early on. It was featured in the court music at first. Then for whatever reason, it stopped being used in court music 
almost disappeared uh, from Japanese culture for quite a while until it was revived later on, I think somewhere around the 1300s or so, by the Zen priests uh, called straw mat priests or komoso. By that point then it was being used as a sort of, rather than import music context, as a meditative practice and also a practice that you would play to get alms, uh, you know, alms received that uh, mendicant monks would be doing. As time went on, they became more uh, formalized and organized and became an official sect of Zen called the Komuso, or priests of nothingness. So all this time, um, pretty much for centuries, the flute's main use was this solo or maybe groups of shakuhachi, but not played with other instruments, not in any kind of concert with other instruments, um, Zen-based music. Um, the Komuso uh, were all from the samurai class, so there was this kind of a fill, uh, kind of a connection between the bushi or the samurai class and the instrument as well. Um, because of its connection to the samurai class in the 1800s, when the Meiji Restoration happened, when the uh, shogun ended, the samurai times ended, and the uh, emperor was restored, and kind of you could say Japan entered the more modern age in the 1800s, it was actually made illegal for a while, uh, but then because by then it had been used in a kind of chamber music with Koto and Shamisen, that was kind of its salvation that because of that aspect, they argued that it wasn't necessarily right or that necessary for the Meiji Emperor to uh, completely get rid of it. So he allowed it to happen again. Uh, and then throughout the 1800s, there was more development of the instrumental side of it with uh, specifically Shamisen Koto. Later on in the 20th century, more um, emphasis with even pairing it with other uh, instruments, such as piano or other Western instruments, um, kind of with a combination of traditional Japanese and Western sound. Um, you know, and today it's uh, certainly a lot of modern music is written for it, but we still do have an unbroken, more or less, transmission of that Zen music that goes all the way back, uh, you know, hundreds of years. So it's kind of neat that it is used in modern context, but it is also super traditional as well. Like if you study traditional shakuhachi, you are part of a lineage that is hundreds of years old. I see. That's fun, into very interesting and fascinating history. Now, when you said it was, it kind of disappeared for a while um, mm -hmm. and it was banned for a short time. I wonder, mm -hmm. is it because of the, its relationship with the martial arts well in in for the uh the banning during the 1800s it definitely was um not i mean not so much its connection to the martial arts but the samurai as a class you know it's because there, at that point there were rebellions of the samurai they didn't want the shogun at the end that kind of thing so you know it's it's class relationship to the samurai i think uh the earlier time when it disappeared uh, from the court music, I think from what most people tend to say, or you know, scholars of it, what I've read, that in the court ensemble with all these other instruments, there's a, you know, a side-blown flute, uh, really, really shrill piercing instruments that have reeds in them, plus big drums. The shakuhachi isn't really that loud. So presumably it just was overwhelmed by the other instruments in that core ensemble that developed in Japan. So it just fell out of use, essentially, um, until it was revived later on in more of a solo, uh, you know, one one player context. 
I, I think it is mentioned the the flute at that point it was actually much shorter historically it was a much shorter flute and did have a higher pitch uh, got longer as time went on um, and it was mentioned in tale of Genji uh, I believe uh, that he at one point the character um, Hikaru Genji I think did play Shakuhachi at some point in that which was written sometime um, in the period where it was disappearing so it probably didn't obviously entirely disappear, but it fell out of common usage, I guess you could say. Yeah, and, and I'm, what I can hear from the story is that it seems like it's not even that it will hurt anyone, but because it was mostly used by the samurai, you yeah, know, visioner, yeah. so mm -hmm. then, then that becomes like a symbol of power. Mm -hmm. And so you know it, it kind of just reminds me also on other cultures when, when you know a lot of those african traditions when they were not allowed to do drums at some point that because that's also a symbol of power mm. and and that's also because those things were suppressed then another another type of art came out like when they were do suppressing the drums like in uh, in brazil and then they in all par some parts in in the world where they were suppressing it that capoeira came into existence because mm. at least they can still do the dance and uh, so specific type of dance now when 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 it is and then i what i see also um glenn is almost all cultures from around the world has some type of wind instrument but you did mention already the difference of the shakuhachi can you tell more on how it is made what it is made of and like the process of how they make it mm -hmm. sure um so i hold this up so you can kind of see so the name actually shakuhachi refers to the length of it so the standard size shakuhachi uh, shaku is a unit of measurement that's about a foot long and then hachi is the number eight uh, there's 10 subunits in one shaku so the length of it is one shaku and eight song eight tenths so that's what the actual name is so um the different lengths of shakuhachi would determine the different keys that they're in the shorter would be more piccolo like the longer more bass like they range from about um, one shaku, uh, so something probably only about, oh, I'm backwards here, about like this long, very short, up to about three foot long um, for a base one. But this would be the standard size, the 1.8. Um, traditionally, it's made of bamboo with a root end. It's called the bell. And I'll talk later, there's a lot of uh, bell symbolism in shakuhachi uh, legends. So that's one reason why it's called the bell because it looks like a bell also. So these are the little rootlets that are left on it. So the bamboo comb grew up. They took the whole thing out of the ground and shaved it down. Um, it then has um, just a simple, no reed or anything, just a cut right here and the sort of inlay of horn uh, to protect the edge there. So the airstream is broken right in there, goes down, vibrates through the flute. It only has five holes, four in the front, one in the back. Um, this shakuhachi is in two pieces, so it comes apart. Mm. Other shakuhachi are just one piece, simple one piece of bamboo like that. 
Uh, they are often made today of other material like wood or even plastic uh, for kind of student models so have something inexpensive for beginners to begin with. But the really good flutes are always bamboo. Um, just more about the construction. There are two major types of shakuhachi. Actually, the one I'm holding and the one I uh, showed you are, are rather different types. The other one I just put down. Um, the two-piece two -piece ones tend to have inside the bamboo bore a kind of paste that's built up that shapes the inside of the bore very specifically to how the maker wants to tune it. So the ones that are called giari that have paste inside tend to have a different kind of sound, a little maybe louder, better to play with other instruments, um, a more clear sound perhaps, and more strictly speaking in tune, easier to play in tune. The other type, ginashkine, um, is more or less just bare bamboo inside the bore. You might have little adjustments inside to make it, the tuning come out better, but it has a more naturalistic sound. It's uh, usually a little windier sounding, maybe a bit harder to play precisely in pitch. Uh, this pipe would be more often just played for the strict meditation where the exact pitch doesn't matter as much. Um, so the actual construction of shakuhachi is quite time consuming. I, I did make that one, the other one I showed you. Um, so I made that uh, when I got my Shihang license in 2011. It wasn't part of a requirement or anything, but I thought it would be nice to make one uh, for myself that year. And it's the best one I ever made. I got really lucky with it, but it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, a lot of just refining, uh, playing it over and over again to make little changes in how the holes are made, um, etc. Uh, and then the kind that has the G inside is much, much, much more work. So as such, they tend to be fairly expensive if one buys a, you know, a really good um, instrument. Just because yeah. the amount of work goes into them. I, I was interested on that piece where you said it's two piece. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah, yeah, you take it out. Okay. Mm -hmm. So why what's why what is there a difference in the quality of the tone with the two piece or why two piece? It's, it's uh well it is convenient to make it smaller to carry it around with you. That's just okay. a side benefit. But uh, as I understand the main reason that uh shakuhachi is made to be two piece rather than one piece is that when you're forming the bore inside, if you're doing the kind that has the clay stuff inside it's a lot easier to work in the middle if you have it in two pieces and then join them together than if you're trying to like work from either end it's very difficult to know exactly what you're doing and put the paste in precisely and all that so generally it's really more for the maker to be able to make it uh, better in the middle i asked that question because i have a little i have a warrior mind that mm -hmm. two piece could be a place where you could hide something Okay. So, and if if that was primarily played by samurai people, mm -hmm. I was just imagining if they have used that as part of their weapon. You know. Okay. Um, it's possible. I think probably the uh, two-piece giadi were predominantly more toward the after that period. Like I think the samurai, the actual samurai period, they tend to be more one piece, one piece bamboo. So it's a good theory. But um, I think, um, you know, may, maybe uh, it developed later. Yeah. So may, before may pr we proceed with my other questions, because I'm really mm -hmm. curious about those things, maybe you could play 
one piece for us, which whatever if those mm -hmm. three things that you showed sure. us. Yeah. So yeah, I have I have three different flutes I wanted to play three different pieces on today, um, pieces from different genres and pieces that have some kind of story behind them. Uh, so uh, the first piece I want to play is called Inori. Uh, inori in Japanese means prayer. And it's a very interesting piece. Um, it was written by a shakurachi master called Yoshida Seifu, and he was active in the 1920s, 1930s. Um, he collaborated often with a koto player named Miyagi Michio, who was one, basically one of the people credited with kind of revitalizing traditional Japanese music at that time. In the 20s and 30s, it really was actually starting to die out in a way in favor of Western music, essentially. And he kind of uh, revivified it in a lot of ways. Um, but Yoshida Seifu, very interesting uh, character, um, person. You know, he, I love his playing, first of all. And I happened to find this piece and some other pieces on 78 RPM records in Tokyo, because I collect 78 records, you know, for phonographs, for trolls and stuff as well. This piece first on an actual 78 record, which I thought, wow, this sounds great. Um, Yoshida Seifu actually has his mark on this flute. So this flute is from the 1920s or so. He didn't make the flute, but he approved the flute. It says Seifu Cho, so it bears his mark saying like he, he thought it was a good flute essentially, and maybe his personal maker made the flute, something like that. Um, so that's why I kind of feel a connection to him and his pieces as well. Uh, this piece, Inori, it's not very long, but a lot to it. Um, he composed it at the request, the story goes, uh, of a Polish count who had written a ballet that was about Greek shrine maidens in ancient Greece, and he wanted something that sounded exotic to go with a certain uh, a prayer dance of these Greek shrine maidens. So Yoshida Seifu composed this piece for him and put it in the tuning that was the court music that I mentioned back in like 7800 AD. So the gagaku tuning is used in this. So it's a really kind of universal piece. It's like a, a Japanese piece of Japanese music and very old Japanese tuning depicting ancient Greek shrine maidens written at the request of a Polish count, you know, like um, written by a Japanese uh, shakuhachi player. So I, I, for all those reasons, I really kind of like this piece. It is so odd, I guess, because of all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a pretty piece. I, I do enjoy it, playing it. Um, it was originally recorded on that 78 with Koto, the stringed instrument that sounds maybe a little bit like a harp and shakuhachi, but I find that it works very well just as a shakuhachi solo as well. So I'll play it. <laughs> I'm just going to blow a couple notes uh, before I play.
That was beautiful. Now I, I know why you like it. I like it. I, what I like is because there's, it seems like all different tones from high to low. And I like that part where at the beginning it was slow and then it became fast and it became mm -hmm. slow. I like it. And, and then um, I don't know if I, I haven't really played any, you know, flute or anything. And what, what is like the difference in terms of how one does the shakuhachi or just, uh, or like a, a Spanish flute or any, like the Indian flute or something? Do you know the differences? Because I can see from what you do it, you know, mm -hmm. like, I well, understand you could put your head up and down and mm -hmm. that changes the tone. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest differentiation would be it being an end-blown flute versus a transverse flute. So any kind of flute that you would play like this, whether that's a, a you know, a concert flute with the keys on it or a bansuri or, you know, anything like that, um, would be very different the way you shape your lips and what you can do with it than an end-blown flute. Now, there are other, of course, end-blown flutes in different cultures as well, like the Cana, South American end-blown flute, or uh, I mentioned the Xiao from China. I'm sure there are others as well. Um, but that, uh, especially, Shakuhachi is a little different than them, though, too. I have played both versions of both of those. And the way that the bevel is cut here on the Shakuhachi um, allows you to bend the tones a lot, lot more. So that just without changing fingering at all, or, you know, really that much the way you're blowing, just by your head angle, you can bend the note tremendously, um, which most flutes you can't bend that much. Um, so that allows you to really, it's very chromatic that you can get pitches in between pitches if you want to. That is a good thing, and it's also a difficult thing because you have to train a lot your ear to be able to really get the pitch you're looking for because there's so much, whether you blow at this angle or just like a millimeter lower or higher is going to change the pitch a lot. So it's kind of a, a good thing, a double-edged sword. It's a good thing, uh, allows you to express a lot with it, but of course it makes it harder to play. The other thing that that edge, the fact that it's end blown and the way the edge is created allows you to do that head shake thing. So vibrato. And that's a very typical shakuhachi thing. Rather, I don't know if it's unique to shakuhachi, but it's very typical of shakuhachi. It's called kubifuri. There's a saying like if you, uh, if a Japanese person uh, knows or hears that you play shakuhachi, all, you know, it's a pretty good chance they're going to say the phrase kubifuri-sanen, which means three years to learn how to shake your head. It's kind of like an axiom uh, that even people who don't particularly know shakuhachi know that phrase. Um, just because it's, it's a lot. Uh, it seems simple, but there's a lot to learn how to actually do that in a way that works, you know, uh, just shaking your head to get the vibrato. So rather than say... Um, making vibrato with your breath shakuhachi except in very special cases uses the head shake for vibrato i mean another thing that's a fairly shakuhachi specific um or uh, typical shakuhachi rather than other flute styles would be repeats repeats are basically done by us not interrupting your stream of air and just using your fingers uh, a, a little kind of twitch of the finger to make a repeat to break the airstream just a little bit with the finger holes. 
um, rather than say using your tongue or whatever, tonguing to do repeats. Uh, again, I occasionally use that technique in shakalachi, but uh, the traditional way is not to break the airstream at all. And I think that is reflected or a indication of the um, lineage of Zen that's in there, or the tradition of Zen that the base of it is really just a simple inhale. And maybe not in the song I played, but in the next song, uh, you'll see that the traditional Zen music, the inhales is much a part of the music. The silence of the inhales is much a part of the music as the sound itself. So the cycle of inhale, exhale isn't broken. Uh, any repeats and changes of notes are all done with the fingers. And the basic cycle of breath is very kind of long and slow and consistent. So like meditation. Very interesting. Uh, I want to ask you, how bad were you when you started? <laughs> How bad was I? I was awfully bad. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, it's it's you know obviously everyone you don't want to say bad or good, but yeah, um, I you know it's myself included and pretty much everyone. At first, you can't even really make a sound. The challenge at first is getting sound out of the thing at all. Then um, getting a halfway decent sound that's consistent. Then starting to think about playing in pitch then starting to think about an actually like nice aesthetic sound. I don't think that I got what I would consider a decent, like aesthetic consistent sound probably for seven years. So, um, as I, you know, it is learning to play the shakuhachi is definitely a self-cultivation. Uh, you, I mean, absolute exasperation. It's like so much patience to get through it. You will you face these walls and things like that, that you have to either give it up or overcome and just kind of plod through it. So by doing that, you really face a lot of your own um, things, you know, um, judgment or whatever of yourself, and you have to kind of get through them and just be patient with it. So it's a lot of, I think, cultivating good qualities in yourself just by learning to play it. Oh yeah, so talking about those good qualities, so other than patience, hmm. I think you need to, uh, to do a lot of physical work workout as well because that's not easy you need to have a good lungs good mm -hmm. breathing pattern good neck yeah good, it's very very the physical whole, the yeah, whole body uh, right so what body yeah the breath definitely has to be the same kind of breath that would be say used in qigong or you know tai chi of, uh, or other martial arts a belly breath to and from the, the lower belly all the time Okay, so that abdominal breathing comes handy, mm -hmm. and and you're also you you also related it to you're teaching a type of meditation movement, right? Was that again the Thai? I, I teach I teach Tai Chi Chuan. I, I started uh, Tai Chi in um, 1991, uh, so a bit before Shakuhachi, and uh, yeah, I find that they they definitely help each other. The two practices, I guess, I kind of overall. Um, feel that in hmm, kind of a, a thread that would kind of sew everything together is just the idea of breath and energy, chi or, you know, uh, ki, that's found throughout all of these kind of traditional arts, whether they're martial arts or uh, aesthetic arts like shakuhachi or tea ceremony or uh, whether you know calligraphy or whatever, it's this kind of melding of the mind intent, the breath and the energy to do something. So I feel that in my own case, 
the practices of the Taiji for the physical cultivation, Shakuhachi for maybe the meditation sound and other cultivation, and then other art practices too. I have tried to do um, you know calligraphy and stuff in the past, and I do do the tea ceremony as well. I think they all kind of work together to make a more kind of well-rounded, complete um, practice. I was kind of influenced early on by uh, the Zen Mountain Monastery from Mount Tremper, uh, John Daido Lori, um, Eight Gates of Zen. This in hit his idea was just kind of what I'm saying of making your practice multifaceted. So rather than just sitting meditation, you do mindful meditative work and energetic work in different realms. So like aesthetic, physical, and also, um, you know, these pure out, uh, straight out meditation. And what you did is you really fully immersed in the culture, right? Cause you almost every year, and when when I see you, and I said, "Oh, you just came back from Japan. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're going to Japan." So I know that you—that's how hard you've been studying. Yeah, for for a while there, I was going even twice a year. Uh, say in between, I think it was maybe around 2007 up to 2011. Um, I was working kind of intensively with my teacher whenever I could, because uh, you know he's in Tokyo. Uh, so I was working toward getting that master's license, the Shihan license. And of course, I just liked being in Japan as well. Um, so yeah, I think I, I and, and I learned Japanese language as well. So yeah, I think for a while there, I did pretty much uh, do a lot of immersion in traditional um, Japanese culture. And, you know, I mean, Chinese to the extent of the martial arts side, the Taiji Chuan, but um, definitely I've, you know, been to Japan a bunch, like, I think it was like 17 17 times could it have been <laughs> something like that it was a lot i was just very impressed because i said oh and sometimes i feel like oh i need to go with him because you're always going to the part of the world where my country is <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. so i kind of envy that that opportunity and uh do i understand it correctly that you also learned how to read the notes from is it from the right to the left or how did you? Yeah, um, I should probably show the sheet music here. Yeah. This is the piece I just played, um, Inori. So the writing, it's in uh, Japanese katakana, and it is written top to bottom, right to left, just as Japanese writing is. I mean, Japanese writing, sometimes it's top to bottom, right to left. Sometimes it's in columns, left to right. Uh, but in books, it's usually that, right to left, top to bottom. So yeah, you have to learn, uh, you know, you do not have to learn Japanese properly speaking to play shakuhachi, but you do need to learn these symbols to be able to read the music. So, you know, maybe about 40 symbols total you'd have to memorize. Wow, that's really a good commitment. And uh, mm -hmm. you deserve all of what you've been doing. And it seems because you look very healthy. And when I see you as compared to I think those who have worked there before, <laughs> I see at the at, at at the health food store, and then um, uh, talking about oh, t talk about more the tea ceremony because you know I haven't really attended any of your t tea ceremony, but I'm always mm -hmm. curious about how tea ceremony is done and. Mm. I mean, you know, that, that there's so much in that, that that could be a whole, you know, whole nother uh, talk, but basically, um, but you Just know, an overview. yeah. Um, so I, I study, have studied uh, tea ceremony. I 
it's I forget even how long I've been doing it. Like it's been way over 10 years now, like 12, 13 years, something like that. Uh, my teacher is uh, in Kingston, uh, Kyoko Heineken. Um, and we used to do uh, exhibitions of it in uh, Shofuso in Philadelphia at the Japanese garden there, Fairmount Park. Um, so, you know, we, we tried to kind of promote it. It's uh, Omote Senke School, one of the major schools of tea. Um, but basically, I, I guess I, I just value it because of the sense of aesthetics, aesthetic beauty that it promotes, really. I mean, um, the, how you kind of develop when you, when you do it long enough, this real sense of spatial relationship and um, how things balance each other in space. You know, so when you prepare the tea, there's certain exact placements you have to put the utensils. And it's not just like a rote thing that there's a reason for everything that was, you know, developed over centuries. And I like that as well. You know, the unbroken lineage aspect of that, plus the Zen connection, very strong uh, all throughout peace history. But I guess, yeah, just the, the whole, it becomes, I guess, more of a group social thing because you have the host and the guests, the relationships between them, the atmosphere of the tea room uh, kind of makes this moment for everyone versus playing shakuhachi or you know just doing sitting meditation alone in a room or something like that it's a very different thing but you are able to combine both when you know when it's a social gathering can you play before? oh uh yeah i mean i i have played shakuhachi say at the exhibitions in fairmount park or say if we had um like a, an a more informal uh, party at my teacher's house or whatever I would play but you wouldn't actually play as part of the uh, yeah the tea ceremony per se that would always be done uh, without music because uh, it would kind of distract from the atmosphere okay and and here's one more question before I before I ask you to play another piece please because mm -hmm. um, in other cultures again certain a lot of instruments are also used for, you know, there was no internet during that time. So mm -hmm. they used instruments to call, so to call or to give messages mm -hmm. or there's certain chants, like in, in some mountains in the Philippines that I heard of in stories that when they do certain chants, they know that uh, the, rice, the, the rice planting is in season or it's time for some cultivation of some plants. So mm -hmm. do you know of us if the playing of the shakuhachi also was related for like uh, calling certain situations, calling people, calling the spirit or prayer? Uh, well, definitely for prayer, yeah. I mean, uh, it was used uh, extensively for um, the, the alms. There's pieces that are explicitly related to the giving of alms uh, or the giving and taking of alms by Zen priests. So it was used as part of that practice. So the Komuso, they had these baskets over their heads. That's their typical you know garb. So they would stand there playing um, a particular piece, uh, Hifumi Hachigaishi is a very common Zen piece that was said to be as a expression of thanksgiving for the alms received, so it would be played during the alms round. Um, there are these two kind of snippets of pieces, they're very short, that are basically called calling bamboo and receiving bamboo, and the legend goes that um, the 
if if a chromosome monk wandering like saw another apparent chromosome, they would play the one part and the other one would have to answer properly because okay. evidently there you know at the time uh, it's kind of a, a rich history there as well but because of their status as an official zen sect during this time when the whole country was very regulated you know you couldn't travel very freely the chromosome were able to travel freely plus they had the anonymity of the baskets over their heads so a lot of people posed as Komuso who were doing spy things or whatever. Also. So there might have been fake Komuso around. So there is that, like the call out on the receive um, that survives today as these snippets and pieces. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know about, um, you know, say long distance communication with it since it isn't that loud like a drum or something like that. And, and since it's used for prayer, it wouldn't be um impossible or it will not be rare that it's all your use for healing right oh yeah i mean certainly that prayer healing energy it's all moved in there sure um yeah i mean my, my teacher kawase sensei uh does teach honkyoku honkyoku is the word for uh, the zen stream of music hon means original or true Kyoku means music the true music uh, he teaches it as a kind of qigong, actually. He calls it, in Japanese, it's shakuhachi kiko. Kiko is just the Japanese word for qigong. Um, so he does maintain that by playing with the proper energetics that you can certainly help to heal yourself the same way as doing qigong exercises, uh, and perhaps other people as well, you know, by their listening to it properly and in the right frame of mind. Then can you kindly play another piece? Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay, so uh, another piece um, I'll play on the flute that I made myself, which is that Jinashi, the more naturalistic uh, bare bamboo type, right? Um, this is uh, made with smoked bamboo, so most flutes are not this dark. It's this uh, flutes would get dark either through being very old or perhaps having lacquer on them, uh, but this one is just because the bamboo was smoked. So it actually still, even like from 2011, it still smells like pine smoke kind of nice um so uh i will play a piece where did you smoke it where did you do where did you smoke it here in the united states i cheated a little bit i didn't actually wish i could say i like dug this out of the ground myself and smoked it myself and all that but um i actually bought this as a blank at the shakuhachi store in tokyo so they sell pieces of bamboo that are suitable for making shakuhachi out of that are, you know, not, they're raw basically. So you have to cut them to length and make the holes and shape the bore and stuff yourself. Um, but yeah, they, I, it came pre-smoked. Okay. <laughs> um, so the, the piece I, I would like to play is a example of the very, very, very traditional old school uh, meditation music or honkyoku that would be called myoan or meon style. So within Shakuhachi, there are different schools of playing, just like different schools of martial arts or what have you. Um, my actual school is the Kinko school. You said it you know, when you were reading my bio, but Kinko school, uh, specifically Chikuyusha. So within Kinko school, which is a, a larger style, there's other sub-styles or sub-lineages. Chikuyusha is the school of my teacher, Kawase Sensei. And he's actually the... Um, hereditary heir to it. His uh, his grandfather established it in the early 1900s. At any rate, that's my main school. But people do tend to play pieces from other schools as well. Um, and this Mayon is more kind of 
very plain, very unornamented kind of playing, very, very just straight sound meditation. Uh, the piece I'm going to play is in supposedly the oldest known shakuhachi piece. It's called Kyore, means empty bell. So I said uh, there's a lot of bell symbolism in shakuhachi, the bell representing enlightenment. Uh, a genre of pieces called yearning for the bell pieces, for example. Um, but Kyore means false bell or empty bell. And there's a story that goes with it. it uh, in, in legend, the, the piece is, goes back as far as, say, 700 AD, Tang Dynasty, China. Historically, probably not. Historically, though, it definitely uh, was around in the 1300s. So as such, it is a very, very old piece. Um, the legend that goes with it was that there was a Zen master named Fuke. And he is mentioned in other sources as well as a, a, a Rinzai school Zen master. And... Um, he supposedly walked around the capital ringing a bell and chanting this kind of crazy poem. Uh, if a bright head comes, strike it. If a dark head comes, strike it. Um, whatever direction it comes, uh, hit it like a whirlwind. And if something comes from nothingness, cut it down to the size. That's one translation of the poem. So it's, you know, whatever you want to make of that, <laughs> that's the poem. So he supposedly rang his little handbell as he was chanting this poem and his disciple um, mimicked the sound of the handbell by playing this piece. Um, thus false bell or empty bell. And it's basically a, an expression of the desire for enlightenment uh, represented by Fouquet's bell. So, um, yes, you'll see it doesn't use the head shake. It doesn't have nearly as much going on as the first piece. It's very, very simple. So the best way to appreciate it is just to settle into yourself, feel the breath, and just treat it as a meditation, you know, and see where it takes you uh, yourself.
Very, very beautiful, Glenn. And, and I'm not sure if it's from your end or in my end. I could hear the birds chirping as well. There's definitely a bird outside the window here. Huh? There's definitely a bird outside the window. So, so it was with the sound of the birds and you playing. Yeah. So um, before your last piece, Glenn, do, what, do you have anything to advise for those who may want to study? You know, they may ask, do they need to be to know the notes? Or what is your most difficult hurdle before you finally felt like you're going to push through? So maybe cool. you can give them their advice and your contact. Yeah, um, I mean, learning the actual notation is easy. I mean, compared to actually getting a sound and working on your sound. So the real work at the beginning is is the sound. The notes just kind of come. Um, so, I mean, I think, though, anyone who does feel inspired to play, Shakuhachi uh, specifically, kind of does have to make a certain decision whether they just want to mess around with it you know and have fun and play with it however they want to or do they actually want to study it traditionally and of course benefits and drawbacks of both um but to study it traditionally um you definitely do need a teacher so it's not something there are shakuhachi books available and online you know videos etc but um to actually understand it it is still even though there's the sheet music's there it is still definitely an oral tradition so whether that's in-person lessons or you know online through the Skype lessons or whatever it is, um, you definitely, if you want to play traditionally, definitely do need a teacher. And I think if you are do feel drawn to that, it's a good idea to just check out as many different styles and teachers as you can, you know, reasonably, see what attracts you because a certain um, lineage might sound very, very, very different from another. Uh, some might be much more like aggressive kind of a yang like a big sound and um more say showy playing other ones much much more simple and subdued so kind of you have to find a style that feels like it's right for you and then of course the actual dynamics with any teacher you might choose of course uh, have to be like any other teacher you have to kind of get along with them and feel good about them right so mm -hmm. you know um i do teach online and it does you know um I feel I do feel that in-person lesson, if it's possible, is the way to go. Is something very different about that, uh, but online is definitely a, you know a good option if you don't have any teachers around you. Um, and of course, if you just feel like exploring shakuhachi on your own just for fun, that's great too. You can get a lot of good uh, experiences that way as well. And I will make sure that you know I'll provide information for those of you who want to reach out to Glenn. Mm -hmm through me feel free i will put that information as, as you see you can reach out to glenn on facebook okay and so i thank you for all the audience and glenn thank you so much i want to share a quantum affirmation before you play all right and it's mm -hmm. perfect because this quantum affirmation says loving gratitude so and i encourage people to do this three times in the morning at noon in the evening and bedtime Oh, just like Sakuhachi, you have to keep saying thank you. This now, in these current times, all we could say is thank you, thank you, thank you. And I always say thank you no matter what life hands me. I always express my gratitude for the gifts I am given, whether large or small, 
I attract the wisdom and experience. I need to move forward in my understanding of a life's events. I always say thank you no matter what life hands me. I always express my gratitude for the gifts I am given, whether large or small. I attract the wisdom and experience. I need to move forward in my understanding of a life's events. I always say thank you no matter what life hands me. I always express my gratitude for the gifts I am given, whether large or small. I attract the wisdom and experiences I need to move forward to my in my understanding of a life's events. So, Glenn, thank mm -hmm. you so much, and kindly close our event with another piece. Okay. Last piece I'll play on this other flute. This would be. Um, a genus type, so nothing on the inside. A very old flute, probably from around the turn of the century, the 1900 or so. Um, unknown maker, um, and it's a little bit longer than the other two, so it has a slightly deeper sound. I'm going to play a piece that my uh, teacher composed uh, called Kakumon, or Crane's Gate. So this would be in the Kinko school style very much. It's based on a very famous Kinko piece called Nesting Cranes, which depicts uh, crane calls and the life cycle of cranes. Um, and he kind of rearranged it, put his own ideas in, and made it into a modern piece. Um, so uh, Crane Gate. And this one, again, was composed for another instrument in Shakuhachi, that one called a kokyu, which is like a bowed stringed instrument. Um, but it works great as a Shakuhachi solo.
fantastic. <laughs> Amazing. It's just what I needed for today. All <laughs> those notes and frequencies. Thank you so much, Glenn. And thank you to our dear audience. Any more last wisdom before we say goodbye? I say mabalos and I know arigato. Thank you. And I know sayonara <laughs> at least, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm kind of having a hard time thinking right now because I'm still playing that piece in my head. So, in your head. Yeah. So yeah, everyone be well. Peace. Thank mm -hmm. you.